it's great to be here again this week. I really enjoyed ourselves last weekend. Thank you. And um, had a great time with our family. Uh, we were out in Invermere for the week. And uh, it's really nice of you to, you know, bring Vancouver weather here today, but we came here for sun. Uh, came here to get away from precipitation. So thanks, but, you know, you can turn it off anytime. Uh, we'd be good with that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's uh, pray, and then I'm going to get into our word for today. Father, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for this community. Uh, thank you for the things that you're, uh, you have done, you are doing, and you yet still want to do uh, through this faith family. Uh, and so, Father, I pray that you will speak into our hearts and minds the things that you want to say to us uh, today through your word. And thank you that your spirit is present. Thank you that you know exactly where we're coming from when we walk in the door, regardless of our story and you have something for us regardless of what we come with. And thank you that you know us intimately and you desire to uh, not only speak into our lives, but transform our lives in a relationship with you. So I pray you would do that uh, today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So last uh, week we talked about how to love the world Jesus' way, and that was rooted in uh, intimacy with Jesus leads to passion for Jesus, which leads to compassion for others. And if we get the order wrong, then we actually end up doing good things that God's never asked us to do. Because uh, the things we do in our relationship, as an expression of our, our relationship with Jesus, are tied uh, to that time we spend with him, just like Jesus knew what to do because he spent time with his father. And so uh, that was kind of the setup last week. This week is going to be a really, a really practical teaching on how do we change the world Jesus' way. Uh, so this is really going to be very nuts and bolts uh, in terms of the practicalities of living out that relationship. Um, now, one of the things that I found is that one of the most used and misunderstood words in the church for years and years, and it doesn't matter which church, uh, is the word discipleship. It's a word that if you've been around the church at all for any amount of time, you're going to hear the word disciple, discipleship, thrown around constantly. And yet often you ask people, well, what is discipleship? And you get a, a great variety of answers. And often in our North American context, we've defined discipleship as this education process, uh, this information process. But that's not actually what the Bible talks about when it uses the word disciple and what, it's, and what, it, what it means for us. Now, if you ask people, uh, you know, could you disciple me? That's good church language. Could you disciple me? And often people go, well, no, I don't know enough to do that. I'm sorry, I can't do that. If you ask most Christ followers, were you discipled? And the majority will say, no, I never was. And yet, Jesus makes a really big deal about discipling people. And I know uh, as a, when I became a Christ follower, I was uh, 18 years old, uh, I was never discipled. I was educated, but I was not discipled. No one ever walked with me through the basics of what does it mean to actually have that intimate relationship with Jesus, to grow in that, in that relationship, and then to walk in obedience to that. I got general teaching and education, but no one ever came alongside me and said, this is how you do this. Watch me, follow me. Learn from me, just like I learned from someone else. So that's what I'm going to walk us through this morning. 
Jesus talked about this, and it's the most famous probably command or commission that Jesus gave us in the end of the book of, end of, book of Matthew, uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So if you've been around church any amount of time, you've heard that verse read, you've heard that verse talked about, and we often talk about it as as this is the impetus for us telling other people about Jesus. But it's actually more uh, developed than that when he says, go and make disciples. That's the command that he gives us and gives every Christ follower is I want you to make other disciples, other followers of Jesus. Now, when the disciples heard this, they would not have been bewildered. They would have not have wondered, Jesus, what are you talking about? This is the last thing you're telling us, and we don't know anything about this. They would have, of course, we're walking with Jesus for three years, so this would have been modeled for them. This would have been taught to them. This would have been something they would have been trained in. So when Jesus said, go and make disciples, they would have said, okay, I know what you're talking about. I know exactly what you want us to do. And then to encourage them, He said, all the authority I have, the authority that comes from Jesus, the authority that he uh, died on the cross, rose from the dead, uh, conquered, uh, paid for our sin, conquered death. He says, all that authority I've given to you. The authority that everything I have in me as Jesus, I'm saying it's with that authority that I'm sending you out. So sometimes when we go out to do stuff, if you're, if you're uh, walking to a place and someone walks up to you and says, you know, stop doing that. You're in a restaurant or you're in a mall or something. Somebody says, stop doing that. One of the first questions we have is, well, by whose authority are you saying that? Unless they're in a mall, if they're not wearing a uniform that says security or, or some badge, you're like, well, who are you? You're just another shopper. Right? We, we always question, what's the authority? Jesus is saying, you have my authority. As Christ followers, I want you to go And to do this, this is what I am commissioning you to do. This is what I've modeled for you to do. This is what I've laid out for you to do. This is what I've spent these last three years teaching you to do. This is why I sent you out. And then we, and after you went out to the towns and villages to cast out demons and to heal the sick and to tell them the kingdom of God is at hand, then you came back and we debriefed and we talked about this because you needed to be trained in knowing how to do this. So, What is a disciple and what do we mean by discipleship? Very basic stuff. So some basic definitions. Jesus explained to us what a disciple is in the beginning of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus is calling the disciples. And Jesus called out to them. He said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So he's showing them there's three parts to being a disciple. The first part is come, follow me. He's saying the first part is actually to enter into relationship with Jesus. See, a disciple is someone who has met Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus, and who is guiding others to Jesus. It's that simple. That's what a disciple is. Someone who has met Jesus, entered a relationship, is being changed by Jesus because they're following him and now guiding other people to Jesus in the same way that they were guided to Jesus. 
So the first thing is come. What does it mean to have met Jesus? It, doesn't, it does not mean just knowing about him. It means that you've actually put your faith in him, that you've received forgiveness of your sins. He's removed your shame. He's conquered your fear. And you're saying, Jesus, my life is yours. I identify as a Christ follower. And I use the word Christ follower very intentionally because Christian often nowadays means a category on a survey or it means some cultural uh, definition versus actually being a follower of Jesus or a follower of Christ. So how do you self-identify? Would you identify as a Christ follower? Have you, have you put your faith in him? Have you given your life to him? Have you received your, the forgiveness of your sins, the removal of your shame? Have you given your fears to him? And she said, Jesus, I recognize you are sovereign over all. That is who you are. Second part, Jesus says, follow me. To follow me means that we are being constantly changed by Jesus. It's that ongoing development process that is happening. It's the ongoing development process that is going on when we follow him. It is walking in submission to him, walking in obedience to him, saying, Jesus, I'm going to live with your mindset to do the things that you did in the way that you did them. I'm going to grow the mind of Christ that the book of Romans talks about, to walk in the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to follow him. And then third, Jesus said, I want you to fish for people. In other words, I want to teach everyone else what you've already taught me, Jesus. I want to guide other people into this. Now, the word discipleship actually is not in the Bible. It's like the word evangelism, not in the Bible. And it's become this catch-all word, as I said before, that we use. And is often seen as part of this education process. And what I find most often is often Christ followers will say, well, as I said, you can't, I can't disciple because I don't know enough. This is not about passing on knowledge. It's about walking together in relationship. Now, is knowledge and education part of it? Absolutely. But ultimately, it is learning to grow in a relationship and walking together in the development of that relationship with Jesus and encouraging other in that. So I, I prefer the term disciple-making. And disciple-making is, is that intentionality. It's entering into relationships intentionally to guide people to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to lead others to Jesus. So a disciple-maker is someone who then enters into relationships with people to intentionally guide them to be changed or to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus and guide others to Jesus. Paul, the apostle writing to the church in Corinth, uh, puts it this way. Paul said, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, was Paul doing everything perfectly? No. We know that Paul had different conflicts that he had to work through. He had conflicts with other disciples that he had to work through. He calls himself uh, the chief of sinners. And yet he's so grateful for God's grace. So it's not saying, oh, I'm perfect. I've got my life together. In fact, if someone says, hey, I'll disciple you because my life is so together, run away from them. Because they're not being real. The power of disciple making happens in the authenticity of disciple making. Right? It's a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the authenticity that is real. To say, this is how I 
this is how I pray. This is how I try and walk in obedience. And this is where I struggle. And this is how I confess. And this is how I work at restoration in my life. And this is how I take relationships that aren't working. And now I'm going to work at them. And this is, these are the things I need to own. And I just struggle with them year after year. And I'm frustrated by it. It's that authenticity and that realism that makes disciple-making powerful. So, I want to walk through some disciple-making practices. Simple disciple-making practices. The first part is we have to teach people to self-feed. We have to teach people to self-feed. Another way of talking about it is moving from milk to meat. Where does that reference come from? It comes from Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 12, which says, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who are training, uh, who through training have, have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So the first part of disciple making is teaching someone to be a self-feeder, to move from milk to meat. Now, it's interesting because so many people, you know, I've pastored for whatever, 30 years or something like that. And um, I've, every pastor, every preacher has heard this, you know, well, preacher, your sermons are just not feeding me. Right? Or this church, it's just not feeding me. Anyone who's worked as a pastor for any amount of time has heard that line. And, uh, and one of the things that over the years, as I've, as I've sort of tried to nicely say, so what does that mean? Why aren't you being fed? Um, one of the things that I've discovered is generally it's said when we expect that church or that preacher to be our 100% feeding for the week spiritually. That we expect that that sermon or that church and what it does and that Sunday, that's not going to carry me throughout the week. So what it's saying is I want your milk to be so good that I don't need anyone else to feed me for the whole week. But don't mistake it, friends. It's milk. It's not meat. Why is it milk? Because it's someone else who is feeding you. It is not self-feeding. That's why it's milk and not meat. That's what infants do. Like, think about it. Here's a very practical example. Perhaps today after church, you're gonna, some, you know, some people might go out for a, a buffet, a Sunday buffet. Now, if I were to ask you, you know, you had a great buffet. Oh, it was amazing. You know, there were so many plates. I just stuffed my, in fact, my stomach hurts. You know, I had to bring the stretchy pants uh, for this to work out. I'm lying on the couch moaning now in the afternoon. Oh, that's great. You know, I'm glad you got to eat so much. So are you going to eat again tomorrow? How about the day after that? Well, yeah, of course I'm going to eat again. Well, why? You got fed on Sunday. You got the buffet. It was amazing. Physically, we expect to eat every day. In fact, when we don't, our body starts complaining. It's like we had an agreement, you know, you're not holding up your end. Well, spiritually, it works the same way. If you come to church and go, I'm good for the week. Well, no, you're going to be starving by Tuesday. It's the same principle. Someone who's a self-feeder physically goes, oh, I'm hungry. I need to go eat. If you're an adult, probably got to go make the f- find the food and make the food yourself. You got to cut it up. You got to be able to take a fork and put it in the mouth, your mouth yourself. Someone will not do that for you unless you're an infant. You have to do that for yourself. And the same is true spiritually. 
So the first part of being a disciple maker is to teach people to self-feed. Being a disciple is to learn how to self-feed spiritually. How do you do that? Simple practice in self-feeding is read the Bible and journal. Write down what God is teaching you. Write down what God is teaching you. Because the primary way that God speaks is through his word. That's the primary way that the Holy Spirit speaks is through, through God's authoritative word. And for that to be real, you need to be into it regularly, preferably daily, to have a routine where you are self-feeding. And don't read God's word just as a, as a place for information. God's word is the revelation of a person. It's the revelation of Jesus. And that is the place that you are growing your relationship with Jesus. You gain information, but it's about a person. Some people say, well, the Bible is a manual for life. Well, there's great principles there, but if you only treat it as a manual, not as, a, as the text that introduces you to a person, you will miss out on the relationship with Jesus. Uh, this year, I started using the, um, uh, the Bible in one year, which is by Nikki Gumbel from Alpha. Uh, for years, I had done something else. I thought, oh, this year I'm going to do something different. I'm going through that, through that every day. I, I uh, listen to it through the Bible readings and Nikki's comments. And then I will, as I'm listening, I'm simply asking the Lord, what is it that you want to, want to highlight for me today in your word? And as those, as the scriptures are being read, I listen and I'll highlight those. I do it on my phone. So I'll highlight those and I'll go back to one of those, write it down in my journal. And I'm, and I'm not doing a diary. What I'm saying is, God, how do you want to change me today because of what I have just read? And then I'll say, this is what that text meant to them. This is what it means to me. Now, what is it, the obedience or the action that comes out of that for my life today? And then I'll write, that, write out the prayer. Very simple. But I found it's changed my life profoundly in the decades that I've done that. And then someone asks you the question, well, what's God been saying to you? I just have to think about my journal. This is what God's been saying to me. This is where he's testing me. This is where he's encouraging me. This is how he's directing me. And often at the end of it, I'll just break down the question. God, is there anything you want to say to me today? Apart from what I've just read. It's a way of asking the Holy Spirit to speak into my life. And so often I, feel, I hear the Spirit say something. And I know it's the Spirit because it usually begin, the thought in my head begins with my name for me. And often it's saying something that I wasn't just thinking about or reading about. And often it's character formation. Willie, I want you to work on this. Willie, I want you to think about this. Willie, I want you to call this person today. And it's like, that wasn't even in my mind. Because God wants to speak to his people. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak. And when you do that yourself... You're building a firsthand faith. If you are doing this out of other people's devotional writing, which can be inspiring, if you're doing this only out of weekend sermons, then what you are getting is how God spoke to someone else. And how God speaks to someone else is interesting and it can be inspiring, but it's secondhand food. It's like, you know, when a mom, mama bird goes and gets, gets some food and then regurgitates it back to the chicklets. Right? It's kind of secondhand food. There's some nourishment there. But God wants to speak to you directly. Don't accept simply secondhand food. God wants to speak to you directly. He desires to meet with you. His word tells us that. He wants to reveal himself to you. 
And that's how he does it. And it's through the power of the Spirit. So you also want to teach people how to live in the leading of the Holy Spirit. So you want to self-feed. You want to be regularly in God's Word. You want, to, you want to learn how to live in the leading of the Spirit. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty six, The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our guide, and teacher. So to disciple someone means that we guide them in the understanding and experience of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's very simple. It includes listening to the Spirit, learning to listen for the voice of the Spirit, discerning the difference between the voices in your own head and God's voice. Here's a side note, and I know SunWest teaches the Hearing God course, which is a great course. I've taught that same course in our church in Burnaby. And part of what you'll learn in that course is, if you are not regularly reading God's word, don't ask for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Why would I say that? Because if you are not regularly in God's word, you will not have the, the, uh, the context to discern the voices that are coming into your head because you will hear things. You will hear things, but you will have no context for discernment because you don't know God's word. Because the enemy always comes masquerading as an angel of light and wants to take us off track. And so it's because we spend time in God's word that when, because when God speaks, the first thing he does is he confirms his word. It's the first thing the Holy Spirit does. Never contradicts God's word. And so to help people understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit and to walk with them in that. And you want to teach people how to pray. Part of self-feeding is learning how to pray. And prayer is simply a conversation with God. It's simply a conversation with God. Of course, the book of Psalms is a great teacher because that's, that's David's prayer life that he's writing out. But it's just walking with people. So often people say, well, I don't want to pray because I, I don't know what to say. Well, what's on your heart with God? What questions do you have? What are you thankful for? What are you worried about? Just tell God about it. And then when you're done, just ask God, is there anything you want to say to me? Because it's a conversation. That's part of that whole self-feeding part of being a disciple and being a disciple maker. The second key point is you want to teach people to walk in authentic community. And Colton was talking about how SunWest walks with people in authentic community through small groups. And small groups are incredibly important. And SunWest's vision statement is to guide all people into a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. We We have never been created to walk alone in our faith walk. God always calls us into community. That's the history of the church back to the book of Acts. God always calls out a people into community. All through the Old Testament, he's calling people into a community and how to walk in community with each other. And small groups are a key place uh, for that. Um, I like how uh, in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment uh, from the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, it says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Okay, the vertical, me and Jesus. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, to love your neighbor, who's your neighbor? Well, it's anyone God brings into your life. But it's that life-on-life place where you're rubbing off on each other those rough edges that we have, and you're together long enough that you've already annoyed each other. Right? Every small group, once you've been together for a while, somebody has annoyed you. They're actually God's gift to you. 
Because that's the place where you're going to grow, is with that person that just bugs you. That's usually the person who's going to make you grow the most. That person who just thinks different than you. That person who has a different perspective than you do. Another place to grow even more is a discipleship group. What's a discipleship group? It's our, our term in our church for them. It's two or three or four men with men or women with women. You get together weekly. And I find when men are with men and women are with women, the conversation goes to a different place. It just goes to a different place. There are things we will not say when the opposite sex is in the meeting. And that's probably very appropriate. And in my discipleship group, I've been through through a few of them. One of the first questions we often start with, just to cut to the chase, we go, oh, so what are you confessing this week? Like we just start there once we have a relationship with each other. And because we're in God's word uh, on a daily habit, we go, well, this is what God's brought in my life this week. It's this character thing that I'm, I got to confess I'm really struggling with. And it's not a moralistic question. It's not asked to say, hey, you know, you better shape up. The question is actually rooted in, in saying, hey, I want to help you grow in your faith walk. And we're going to encourage you in this so that your life can be aligned increasingly to God's word and God's leading for you. And we're here to support you in that. And part of that support means we're going to ask the hard questions. Not to, not to, to hold them over you, but to say we care about you. We care about you. And we're going to ask how it's going. Because you're sharing it with us because you want to see change in your life. And that's why we're sharing with each other. It's that authentic place of growth. Not for moralism, but for life change. For us to rub off on each other, be inspired by each other. One of the guys in my discipleship group, a fairly new believer, his name's Eddie. Eddie came to Christ because of tragedy in his life. His wife died of cancer. And through her death... Uh, he became a believer. And it's interesting for Eddie to say, she died about four years ago, he would say, I miss her so much, but I'm grateful for actually that she is with Jesus because if she wasn't, I wouldn't be. And he got baptized in her uh, hospital room just before she died. And we took a video of it on an iPhone and showed it in church. And there was a person who was, you know, she had lost all her weight, cancer had ravaged her body, And she kind of sits up in bed with this big smile. And she's talking about how happy she is that her husband's become a a follower of Jesus. And then she looks at us all and she says, uh, I look forward to seeing you all again. And she passed away two weeks later. And she was talking about heaven. And, And Eddie's been in my discipleship group ever since. And his life is so transformed. And he's constantly thanking God for his goodness in the midst of his tragedy. It's an honor to walk with him. Absolute honor. Because he is so open to God's leading and so authentic that I'm I'm humbled to be with him as a new believer. Because I learned so much from him. Paul said in 1 Timothy uh, 4 verse 8, He's talking to Timothy, who is, he had discipled. He said, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Discipleship and disciple making is training for godliness. To see life change happen at that transformative level in our lives 
and then pass that on to others. So I told Eddie when I started discipling him, I said, okay, Eddie, you're in this group, but you know, after a year, you're going to have to go do this with somebody else. So we're in year two and year two starts. He says, oh, Pastor Willie, thank you for letting me be in this group. Like he's, you know, he's a good Asian. So he always calls you pastor because that's what they do. And uh, it's a cultural thing. And he said, but I know, I know I'm going to get kicked out and I got to get, I got to do this with somebody else. And I laugh and I go, yeah, that's right, Eddie. And, uh, and so a couple months ago, he started uh, discipling another guy and he's walking with him. And it's so cool to listen to that journey uh, as he's passing this on now. And he's growing because he's walking with someone else uh, in profound ways. We also need to teach disciples to serve God in his kingdom mission to serve God in his kingdom mission. Uh, John eight fourteen, Jesus says, I know where I came from and where I am going. So many people today, <clears throat> excuse me, don't know where they came from and they don't know where they're going. They struggle with purpose. They struggle with direction. They struggle with identity. And Jesus never struggled with his identity, his purpose, or his direction, because he knew who he was because of his relationship with his father. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. He says, he also said, the one who sent me is with me and has not left me alone. Jesus had complete confidence in his relationship with his father. He had complete confidence in his identity as a child of his father, he had complete confidence in the purpose and direction that God had for his life. And he spent his time, as we talked about last week, in regular intimacy with the father, as the father told him what to do, and then he simply went and did it, which is the model for us in how to live as disciples and disciple makers. You can know exactly where you come from and where you are heading as a child of God. God gives us that insight, that security in our relationship with him. To be a disciple means that we understand that we all have a God-given mission. And as followers of Jesus, we are sent to participate in that mission in the world. And that is marked by two simple things. And the first we talked about last week quite a bit, and it's obedience. It's simply obedience. Jesus said, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. It's from the Father who sent me. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll follow the leading of the Spirit. That's not a moralistic statement. That's a relational statement. Because you're doing it out of your love relationship with Jesus. Not out of trying to follow a set of rules. That's not what that is talking about. We do not obey him to strive to please him so that he will bless us. That is really bad theology, and a lot of people think that way. We obey him because we love him as as an expression of our relationship with him. So disciple-making is supporting another person and walking with them and understanding how to walk in obedience to the leading and revelation of God. General revelation of God is in his word, And the Holy Spirit then takes the timeless word of God and often applies it to our lives in very timely ways. In other words, I want you to do this now. This thing that you know to be true, do it now. Or do it with this person or in this relationship. That's when the Spirit comes in and sort of just pokes you and says, do it now. Things that you already know to be true. 
that you already know are real. And you know what the beauty of all this is that God has for us? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, talking to the Ephesian church, for we are God's masterpiece. Okay, you are God's masterpiece. God does not make junk. You are God's masterpiece. That is who you are. Satan continually tries to tell us Tell all people that you are less than, that you have to strive for people to accept you, that you have to hide things from other people, that you have to kind of live this Facebook life where you only put on the best and the surreal. Like I saw the other other day, someone had posted something, you know, it was the shot of a person dressed up nicely. And then the next shot was, here's what their room actually looks like. And it was a complete disaster. But the first shot, all you saw was them and everything looked perfect. Society tells us you have to fit into this box. And the box changes about every 60 days into something else. God says, you are my masterpiece. That is who you are as my child. I mean, I want you to think about that. Perhaps you need to stand in the mirror today and go, I am God's masterpiece. We struggle with that so much. And so, and he says, you are my masterpiece. And he, God has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. God planned things for you to do from, bef- from before the time you were born. God planned things for you to do from before the time you were born. That's how personal he is. That's how intimate he is. That's how specific he is. But you won't know what that is if you are not walking in relationship with him, if you are not clear on your identity in him. And that's why being a disciple maker is so important, how God wants to speak into our lives. This does not mean it's going to be easy. In fact, I got a friend who was um, a Mormon for almost three decades and, and about a year and a half became a Christ follower. And she often says, you know, being a Mormon was so much easier. I go, well, why? She says, there were no relational issues. It wasn't on faith. There were just rules to follow. This is, Christianity is relational and and I have to trust God. And what I do is it has to be an an expression of that relationship versus before, that didn't matter. I just had to follow these rules. That was so much easier. And I said, well, I never promised to be easy and God never did either. Those obedient points, obedience points can be very difficult. I don't want to say just because you say, okay, God, I'm going to be obedient. This is all going to be easy. Christianity is not difficult to understand, but it is difficult to do because it's a trust relationship with God. Then God says to us, the second part, first part's obedience. Uh, the second part of kingdom mission is multiplication. It's spirit-led multiplication. So it's back to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I am with you always. That takes initiative on our part. But it's a natural part of being a disciple is to be a disciple maker, which is simply sharing your life with someone else. And discipleship starts with people before they're Christ followers. 
as they're asking questions and walking into relationship and you're just being authentic and sharing who you are. So what does that mean? What does that look like? It means that as Christ followers, we live a decompartmentalized life. We are very good at compartmentalizing our lives. Sunday morning, I do this. I go to church and Sunday afternoon, I do this. And Monday, I go to work. And to be a disciple is to live a decompartmentalized life where God oozes out of our lives everywhere we are. It's not simply attending a church service or going to a small group or, or going to a class. It's an all of life experience. It permeates all of our lives. Everything that we do. It's an expression of who we are because it is our identity. And I know that we walk in contexts where people are so quick to label and so quick to judge others. It seems to become a hallmark of our society right now. But God says, just be yourself, be my child and express who you are. Decompartmentalize your lives. And I want you to stewardship the gifts I've given you. I want you to use whatever that is, your time, your energy, your resources, because to be a disciple maker on King's mission goes, everything God's given me is from God. It's not mine. I'm just a manager. I'm a manager of my time. I'm a manager of my talent. I'm a manager of my finances. I'm a manager of my possessions for God's purposes, not for my own. I had a real wake-up call on this a number of years ago. I was on a SunWest missions trip, uh, happened to be to Africa, and we're in a very remote place where medical aid would, would never come. And so we brought some very basic medical aid there. Uh, but part of the medical aid was that we we're praying for people for healing. And we saw a bunch of people healed. Uh, but one of the things, this guy comes through the lineup and he has a tumor on his lower abdomen, almost the size of a football. Like it was gross and protru- protruding. And uh, we prayed for him. At that point, we didn't see any healing. And for some reason, that event just hit me so profoundly because I, it struck me, go, there's no reason why this man is born here in Africa, away from any medical treatment, and I'm born in Canada, where I have every opportunity and every option and every medical resource, and I didn't deserve to be born here. He didn't deserve to be born there. End result of that sort of existential crisis I was happening, have, having is I went, okay, God, you put me in Canada. It's for a reason. So how am I actually using everything you've given me? And part of that is actually being a Canadian citizen and how I can benefit other people just because I'm born here and and have a middle-class life. It struck me profoundly. I go, I was born here, and that is actually a position of leverage, simply being born here. So what does that mean for my kingdom mission responsibilities and opportunities? That's how that one struck me. I found it so profound. And yet we so often struggle, think, because we always compare ourselves to someone who has more. We don't compare ourselves to people who have less. That's not human nature. But God has given us everything. So how do we give that all back to God? And how do we say, God, we recognize that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we live under your authority and walk under your authority. That's part of being part of God's kingdom mission. Last thing we need to teach people to do is how to worship. Now, worship isn't just singing, even though I love singing. I love raising my voice in worship and just pouring my heart out to God. But it is so much more than that. Paul, in the book of Romans, uh, chapter, chapter 12, 
Um, he tells us to, to, that our bodies should be living sacrifices, that our lives should be acts of worship, uh, that, our, that, that everything we do and are and think is an act of worship. And probably the simplest place to think about what worship is, is to go through the Lord's Prayer, which is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15, which say, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So worship, first of all, puts God in put, puts God in the first place in our lives. Say, God, you're a king of kings. You're holy. You have preeminence in my life. That is where you are. Whether I'm singing about it, whether I'm living by it, or whether I am praying it. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as in heaven. So by saying that, we're saying, God, I want to be on your agenda, your purposes. I want to be part of what you're doing in this world. I want to align my life and my energy with, with your kingdom priorities. And we get practical. God, give us today the food we need. Right? Very practical. God, give us what we need for the day. Part of worship is saying, God, I recognize that actually I'm dependent on you and your provision. Because, the, because you are the provider of everything in this world. Whether it's th- through giving me the finances to be able to purchase things or to grow things, whatever it might be. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Part of worship is saying, God, I humble myself before you. God, I want my relationship with you to be clear. I don't want anything between us, and I want my relationships with people to be good. I don't want anything between me and them. And then he says, and don't, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from evil, from the evil one. We recognize the challenges in our world. The challenge is for us to get off track. And part of worship is being authentic in those challenges like in a discipleship group, a small group with a friend, those kinds of things. And here is, the, here is really the, one of the most difficult, I think, passages in Scripture. For if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your f- Father will not forgive your sins. And I want you to think about that. You hold grudges against others? You somehow put unforgiveness at a place of saying, God, you don't know what they did to me. God doesn't have a caveat or a footnote here unless they did something horrible to you. God says, I want you to forgive. Why? Because he wants you to live free and clear and be out of any self-imposed prison which unforgiveness creates in our lives. That is what it means to worship, is to do those things with your whole life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up uh, as we're going to wrap up right away. So as a disciple maker, you help people walk and worship. Put God first in your life. Recognize his sovereignty over your life. Be part of God's mission. Recognize your dependence on him for everything that you have. Walk in forgiveness and freedom. Recognize the temptations that you're facing and talk about those and learn how to walk in worship and enjoy that. That is the beauty of what God does. See, to be a disciple is not a life of obligation. It is a life of joy and relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you do that one life at a time, being a disciple maker, and you pass that on, you actually are changing the world Jesus' way. Because if you think about it, the, the things that have had most influence on your life are probably individuals who over the years have spoken into your life somehow. They have shaped you most profoundly, more than any program you're probably ever a part of. And God's invitation for us is to be disciples 
to, be, to meet Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and then to be disciple makers, to lead others to Jesus. So perhaps as we're closing in worship this morning, you're thinking the place is to reflect and go, okay, where am I in this journey? Have I met Jesus? Am I being changed by Jesus? Am I leading other people to Jesus? And maybe you'd say, well, I've never met Jesus, and that's what you need to do today. Or maybe it's, I've met Jesus, but I'm not being changed, and I need to put myself in a place to be changed, and I need to ask someone to disciple me. Or maybe it's, I've done those things, but I haven't discipled anybody else. I haven't passed this on. Lord, show me who I should invite that I could disciple this year. And if you're wondering what materials to use, the pastors here can can guide you in that to, uh, to give you materials to use that are really simple and straightforward. To be intentional people who live out God's kingdom and pass it on to others. like prayer uh, for anything going on in your life after the service uh, they'd love to pray with you Um, I'd like to pray for you as well and if you're in a place where you want to be discipled if those three stages if you haven't met Jesus and you want someone to walk with you in that if you're uh, if you have but no one's ever walked with you in growing that faith Perhaps it's you're at that place where you need to take that step. Say, I, I want to be discipled. I want to connect with someone regularly and walk through intentionality and in growing in my faith. Or if you've been a Christian for a while, but you've never actually discipled someone else. And that could be a scary thought, but to go, you know what? I know it'll make me grow, and I want to extend that to someone else. Perhaps it's, today is the day you take that step and you say to one of the pastors or Go to the Welcome Center afterwards and say, hey, I want to get involved. I want to be discipled. I want to be a disciple maker. God's laid that on my heart. Or if you're in that place where you've never made that decision, you can come and pray with one of our prayer folks and they'd love to lead you into that relationship with Jesus. Which is simply saying, Jesus, be my forgiver. Forgive my sin. Be the leader of my life. I want to follow you every day. Be my friend and walk with me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you for making me a new person. It's that simple. Let's pray to close. Father, I want to thank you for just how clear Jesus was in what he modeled for us, what he taught us, and what he invites us to. It's so simple on one hand, but it's not easy. And Father, I pray that for all people here who know you, Lord, that they would take that next step. They would be listening to your spirit. And maybe it's that step of self-feeding. Maybe it's that step of, of being part of kingdom mission. Maybe it's that step of authentic community and walking into that. Or it's that step of being a worshiper in all of life, living a decompartmentalized life. Father, I pray, you know exactly where we're at. I pray that your spirit would prompt us into that next step that you're inviting us to. And for those who are here this morning, Father, who know about you but have never taken that step to know you, to meet you, 
I pray they would take that step today. Say, Jesus, come and be my forgiver, my leader, and my friend. Make me your own. Show me my identity in you so I can live out those purposes that you created for me from before I was born. Thank you for your goodness to us, Jesus. And may we walk in the leading of your spirit this day and throughout the week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.